So this week I had a surprise. Someone stole my credit. Not all my credit, so don't worry. And I'm going to get it back. But I looked on my online bank statement, and I noticed on that very day that I was looking that there was a, a charge for 400 and something dollars. And I thought, what did I buy for $400 and use my debit card? And I thought, nothing. I didn't buy anything at all. And then I thought, well, did Annabeth buy something? And I checked with her, and she hadn't bought anything at all. So I scratched my head for a little bit, and then I thought, no, I, I didn't spend that at all. So who charged my debit card? So I called the, uh, the helpline at the bank, and they had a look and said, yeah, there was a charge, and they identified the amount as well. And then the person said, so you, you didn't spend this money? And I said, no. And he said, You're, it's a joint account, so would the person who was the joint account holder likely to have bought something? And I said, no, I checked with her, and, and we, she hadn't. So he said, well, let me dig a little bit deeper. And so he, he did dig a little deeper. And he said, well, it was charged to the shopping channel. And I said to Annabeth, we have never bought anything from the shopping channel, have we? And she said, no. So anyways, the little investigation began, and you know they will be able to put the money back in my account. But I, I thought... You know, I had this feeling of of being kind of invaded, and the whole sort of subject of my credit came to my mind. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about credit. So let me put it in a bit of context for us. Um, we all think sometimes about our credit rating, um, which means, you know, that we are good candidates or not so good candidates for loans and mortgages and all that kind of thing. And, and so knowing what your credit rating is, is important. And maybe your bank will give you a hand at ascertaining, um, you know, what level your credit rating is at. Another way that we use the word is we may think about something that a person did and we might say, well, it's to his credit. So what we mean by that, not that the person has good financial credit, but we're saying he would get credit for having done that good thing or having uh, achieved that good standard or something like that. So it's to his credit. I want to ask the question, how, how do you build up credit in your life? And particularly in your, in your Christian life, in your religious life, what would it mean to be, you know, if you like, a good credit risk in terms of your, of your Christian life? What does it mean um, to be doing things that would be said to be to our credit in terms of the way that we live our lives? How do you build up credit in your life? What do you want credit for in your life? When all is said and done and people are thinking about how you've lived your life, um, what would they say is to your credit? You know, maybe you think of a eulogy or something and try to imagine what you would like people to say 
because the things that they are saying would be the things that, as far as your life is concerned, are, are to your credit. They're, they're on the right side of the ledger, so to speak. Another way that we use it is, uh, for those of us who are students, um, is having credit for a class or for a course. And so you might ask, if I do this assignment, do I get credit for it? Or is, is this assignment towards my credit? Um, and maybe as opposed to auditing a course, we would take a course for credit, which means that when things are tabulated, maybe at the end of the semester or year, that some credits would be added to my sort of record of, of, of study. And so that's another way that we would use the term credit. So maybe I've established what we mean by the term credit. And now I want to take you back to the life of Abraham. We want to stay with the life of Abraham and, and see that the term credit was used of Abraham in a very interesting way and a way that I think is incredibly helpful for us. So in Romans chapter 4, and that's the, the chapter that I'm kind of camping on as we, we hear about the story of Abraham, and you've heard from Mary, you've heard today already from Susan, and so as we think about the life of Abraham, one of the ways that his life is summarized is in Romans 4 verse 3 that says this, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Let me just let that sink in for a moment as we try to figure out what it would mean. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So we, we need to sort of take that apart a little bit to make sure we understand. And l let me go to the end, first of all, and, and think about the word righteousness and if we were to ask all of the questions that we would ask about what makes a person a good person, what makes a person a, a noble person, what makes a person a praiseworthy person, all of those things might be summed up by the word righteousness. It's not a word that just means doing only right things or doing legal things. In the Bible, it, it's sort of a summary word about the way that a person's life is lived so that God is pleased. So that at, at the end of the person's life, his life or her life would be summed up as having been a righteous life. So that would be a very good thing for us to aspire to, that uh, people would say that we are righteous and people might sum up our lives by saying she lived a righteous life or he lived a righteous life. So thinking about that, then we come back to the verse and we hear the, the Bible telling us that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I want to ask two questions. What does it mean to believe God? Because when we go to that verse, it says Abraham believed God, so I would like to know what that means. And what does it mean to be credited righteousness and how does that connect with this notion of Abraham believing God? So let me talk first of all about what it means to believe God. Notice that it doesn't say believe in God. So whatever happens uh, that accrues to Abraham's credit, 
It wasn't that he believed in God that he got credit for. And, and we should be careful because that is an important idea in the Bible. But it's not what is said about Abraham. It doesn't say Abraham believed in God. It says Abraham believed God. To believe God um, uses a term that means to trust, uh, to depend, uh, to count. Um, and what it's saying about Abraham is that his life was the life in which he believed God. He trusted God. In fact, what we find here is really the secret sauce of the Christian life. The secret sauce of the Christian life is to trust God when you have to. Let me say that again. I think the secret sauce of the Christian life and the thing that is at the core of this idea that Abraham is credited righteousness, uh, the core of it all is to trust God when you have to. So we all know that it's, it's quite easy to trust things um, when it's easy to do that. It's, it's quite easy to believe things when it's easy to believe. If someone claims something and you can look and see that what she just said is right there, so it's not hard to, to just say, okay, I, I believe that. Someone says, you can trust me, and you know you always have been able to trust that person, that the person is a very trustworthy character, you might say, well, that's not, that's not hard to do. But honestly, the secret sauce of the Christian life is not just trusting God when you can trust God or believing God when it's easy to believe God. It's believing God or trusting God when you have to. When it's not so easy just to pass it off and say, of, of course, of course. When it's something that you need to, to struggle with, and struggle is going to be a very important word for me this morning. Um, the secret sauce of the Christian life is to believe God when you have to, even when it's a struggle. So Abraham believed God, and I would say that that means not that he believed in God, although he did, but it means that he had an implicit trust in God. He had a constant trust in God. He had a constant dependence on God, even when it was a struggle, even when it was very hard. That's what I think got him credit, and we'll, we'll take that apart a little bit. Um, to trust God when you have to. Let, let me show you another verse that um, would probably come to mind when we're thinking about Abraham and the New Testament and faith. Remember in Hebrews 11, there's that lovely long chapter that talks about all of the people um, that are characters in what we call the gallery of faith. And it's this person, this person, this person um, who was showing faith. And in Hebrews 11, there's a definition of what faith is. And I, I would put that back into the idea of believing, trusting, counting, depending. And here's what it says about that kind of demeanor, that kind of commitment or disposition. Here's what 
the writer to Hebrews says, and many scholars think Paul wrote this as well, and so that would make sense because it kind of rhymes with the ideas of Romans chapter 4. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. So Susan has already shown us the long pilgrimage of, of Abraham with his, his wife and nephew and his, his um, attendants, so to speak. Um, we know that at one point along the way, he is given the information that he's going to a place called Canaan, but not from the very start. Um, he starts out with God speaking to him and saying to him, okay, Abram, it's time to move. And I heard a, a speaker when I was a, a high schooler, and he was kind of caricaturing Abraham, and he said, can you imagine? This guy was sort of walking out of his house, and he had, he had boxes one by one. He carried them out to the U-Haul truck, and then he had a fridge, and he had a fridge that was strapped to his back, and he labored under its weight to get it to the U-Haul truck, and his neighbors were watching him, and they said, Abraham, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm moving. You're, you're moving. Why? Because um, God told me to. Oh, Yeah. So where are you going? Don't know. You don't know. You, you, you have a U-Haul truck full of your junk and you don't know where you're going? Don't know yet. Well, how long is it going to take you to get there? No idea. You don't know where you're going. How long is it going to take you to get there? Um, why? Because God told me to. This doesn't make sense, Abraham. And Abraham is saying, nope, doesn't make sense to me either, but it's what God told me to do. That's what the passage says. It doesn't say the U-Haul truck stuff. But it says, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going not knowing for where he was where where he was going as we try to understand what it is that pleases god we'll discover that what pleases god is the struggle to believe now that, that might sound heretical in some some of you hearing the struggle to believe pleases god now let, let that travel into the experiences of your life and maybe even the circumstances of your life these days. I'm claiming that the struggle to believe pleases God. And what we're going to see is that in fact the struggle to believe actually is credited as righteousness. So we'll need to examine the word credited just a little bit more now. What this says is that what pleases God is not knowing, 
is not doing, is not believing something, but what pleases God is the struggle of believing, the struggle of trusting. So hold on to that, because what, what the scripture is saying to you is that right now, your struggle to believe pleases God. In fact, your struggle to believe gives you credit with God. And the idea of having credit with God um, is that the credit that we receive is not at all from what we might expect it would be derived from. The credit that we believe is not what we know or not what we experience, not what we do. The credit for righteousness is by believing God. And the credit that we get is not our own. It's credit that is given to us. We are given um, a credit limit that is enormous. And when we examine our lives, we discover that there actually is no credit that we can expect. There, there's no credit that we deserve. We have to understand that the only credit we have is the credit for struggling even in the process of believing. Long, long time ago, I bought my first new car. I had had one or two old junkers, and you know, you're never sure whether they would stall out in a puddle or die on the road, something like that. I was finally at a place where I had a job, Annabeth had a job, and I had an income, and I was able to think about buying a car. And so my father-in-law, um, he and my mother-in-law were living in the same town as us by that point. And I asked him if he would come with me to look for a car because he, he was a bank manager. He had worked for GMAC at one point and he bought and sold cars his whole life long as he did everything else, bought and sold houses, bought and sold this and that, trailers. So as we're going... He said, "Um, are you all set with the bank? And I said, what do you mean, am I I all set with the bank? He said, well, how are you going to pay for this car? And I said, well, I I mean, I'll I'll get a loan and make payments. And he said, that's why I'm asking, are you okay with the bank? All set with the bank. And he said, I didn't tell you this before. I'm willing to be your guarantor. I said, well, I don't even understand what you mean by guarantor. He said, well, when we get to the car dealership and you try to make a deal on the car, they're going to do a credit search on you, and they're going to tell you that you don't have enough credit to buy a car. I said, well, what do you mean? I have a steady job. And he said, and what's your credit history like? And I said, I probably don't have any. He said, that's the point. So he said, I will be your guarantor. And I said, well, then explain to me what that is. He said, what that is, is that it's really not you that's buying the car. It's me. Because it will be on my credit, not yours, that you will be granted the privilege of of buying this car. So I sat quietly as we drove to the dealership and 
we finally got in there and um, we had had a look around the, the lot and I, I, I saw this Cutlass Calais. It was a 1978 Cutlass Calais, my, maybe my favorite car ever. It was a beautiful car. And I, I said to my, my father-in-law, um, Mr. Reynolds, because that's what I called him. That's what you're supposed to call your in-laws back then. I said, I really like that car. He said, well, let's see what we can do. So we went into the salesman's office, and, and the salesman said, yeah, it's a beautiful car, and, you know, such and such. And, and then he said, and, and it will be this amount of money. And I thought, well, okay. My father-in-law said he would guarantee the loan, so I'm sure this is going to be fine. So then, this is a little bit of an aside, but then my father-in-law took us down a little bit different track. He he said to the salesperson, well, we're not paying that. And the guy said, well, that's a fair price. And he said, let me see your paperwork. And he reached across the desk, and he turned the salesman's paperwork towards him. And he said, here's what it costs you. Here's what I think we should be willing to pay. And it's not at all the price on the window. And the guy said, that's a fair price on the window. And my father-in-law said, no, we're not going to pay that. And he said, uh, why don't you go talk to your manager? So the salesman left the office, and he went, presumably, to talk to his manager. And I said to my father-in-law, what are you doing? I, I really want that car. He said, you're not going to pay that for that car. And I said, I really, really want that car. And he said, just trust me. The salesman came back and he said, I'm sorry. No, there's no way. There's no way you're going to get the car for the price you want to offer. So my father-in-law stood up and said, okay, Ian, let's go home. And I panicked. I said, what are you doing? I, I really want that car. And he said, no, you're not going to pay what he wants for the car. So he led me out into the parking lot, and I, I was just flummoxed. I'm, I'm going, I really want that car. That's the car I want. And, I, and I, I don't think the price is terrible. He said, just wait. And I said, what are, what are we waiting for? So about two or three minutes later, the door opened, and of course the salesperson came running out and said, okay, I talked again to my manager. You can have the car for the price you're offering. And my father-in-law smiled and said, yeah, I knew you would see reason. Well, that was an experience for me that taught me some things. But more than anything, honestly, it taught me about credit. And the, the point with that car was that I got credit that I didn't deserve. The, the credit was my father-in-law's. It wasn't mine. And yet, it somehow got accrued to me. It somehow got chalked up to me even though I had not done anything, in fact, had, had probably kind of neglected to do what I should to build up my credit. But I was able to buy that car on the basis of the credit that belonged to my father-in-law. Now, I, I never defaulted on any loan. One was I was kind of scared of my father-in-law. And second was I wanted to build up my, my credit rating. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him 
for righteousness. Now, just before that, in the passage, um, Paul has been arguing that it is not by works, but by faith that we are granted favor with God. And he says, just have a look at Abraham's life. Were there reasons that he might thought he had favor with God? Yes, there were. But was it on the basis of what he had done that he got favor with God? The answer is no. It was by faith that God was pleased with Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, which is against all hope, against all odds, against all other things. He trusted in God. The struggle of Abram's believing is the magic sauce of the Christian life or the secret sauce of the Christian life. And and I think many times we just don't get that, that what God is pleased with is not the sum total of the things we do or we believe. What God is pleased with is the process of trusting him. And trusting him is, according to the scripture, that we have believed that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. If you want to know what will be credited to you as righteousness, as a pleasing life, what will delight God is that you exercise this kind of living that believes that God is and that he rewards those who seek him. That's where I get this idea of the struggle, that God is pleased with the life that struggles to believe. That's why the Christian life is not an easy one. That's why we don't get quick answers to our prayers. That's why we have problems. That's why we have failures. That's why we mess up. Because when we look at the life of Abraham, it's not stellar. If it were up to Abraham's deeds, he wouldn't have pleased God enough at all. He made some stupid mistakes. And that delights me because I make stupid mistakes. He stuffed up. I stuff up. He told lies. I have. And all of the things that he did, I've, well, I should be careful. So far I haven't made Annabeth tell anybody she's my sister. So, okay, we'll leave that alone. But you see, Abraham's life is shown to us with all of its detail because it's not that he attained something in his own strength or determination, nor when we look at any of the other heroes of faith, are they people who have arrived. You know, there's David. I mean, he messed up. There's Rahab and and a whole list of people that Hebrews says pleased God because they were people of faith. And faith is defined as believing that God is and that he's a rewarder of those that seek him. So even the very process of believing is a struggle for all of us. Do you sometimes wonder whether or not there really is a God? Faith is believing 
something that you have an inkling of and you latch on to it and you trust that what you're latching on to um, will will come true will 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 actually be the truth will actually be reality so you know there's nothing that's meritorious about being able to declare that you know there's no god that that's nonsense because the bible tells us that we all know that god is in fact we know uh, about the very character of God, about the very nature of God, by what we see. And, and that's what begins our faith. It begins our struggle. Um, and, and we find that every time we move towards um, a grasping of God's being and God's being willing to be found, God smiles at us and says, there, that's it. That, that's what I want you to do. So coming to faith and living by faith um, is a process in which God is pleased by our very struggle. I think that's what Susan told us about when, when she went from feeling as though everything was going really well and the next thing would happen right in time and you know right as she expected. What God was pleased with was that Susan was willing to wait through because she was believing and she was willing to struggle in her belief as she held on and pressed on. So that's what living the Christian life is really like. It's realizing that there are things we can't figure out, that there are problems we can't solve, that there are situations that we can't resolve, there are things we can't fix. There are people we can't fix. But God is, and God is willing to be found when we seek him. And for all of our seeking, God says, there you go, that is credited to you as righteousness. That gets you credit. So isn't it a freeing thing to think that at the end of our lives, we don't need to sort of... um, worry over what we have done or not done, achieved or not achieved. We don't have to worry about what our eulogy will be as far as people is concerned. Because in heaven, God has the books, and in those books there is credit that is due to you simply because you have believed, because you have held on to your belief. You have grabbed at the fact that God is and that he will reward those who seek him. So as you struggle, realize that God is in the struggle and pleased by you in the struggle. And it's not because you've done anything or you know something that others don't. It's because you have um, seen the example of these characters of faith and said, wait a minute, they're not so different from me. They had questions. David wrote the whole book of Psalms, um, much of which is about his struggles. And if, if you read them carefully, you will hear David 
call out to God and say, I don't understand. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. I thought you would do this, yet I will trust you. And, and David is called a man after God's own heart. So here it is. Struggling to believe, struggling in believing, actually gets you credit. Because it's not by works. Not by what we do. Not even by what we know or have mastered or figured out. It is simply in our throwing our hands up and saying, I don't know where this is going to go next, but I trust you. Abraham did what God told him to do. And as we do, difficult though it may be, God will say, oh, I, I'm so pleased with that. I'm so pleased with that. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. God bless.